But Tasha and I just want to say thank you for your hospitality, your generosity. Um, we have certainly felt um, your warmth, your love, and certainly uh, your prayers for us during and through this process. So what an honor and privilege it is to be here with you this morning. I'm going to read uh, two texts. The first comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And then I'll read Acts 12, uh, verses 5 through 11. So, <clears throat> Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And on that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crown behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And now Acts chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. While Peter was kept in prison... The church prayed fervently to God for him. That very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, "'Get up quickly!' And the chains fell off his wrist. The angel said to him, Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so. Then he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. And after they had passed the first and second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went outside and walked along a lane, when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when Tasha and I moved to Florida... There's one thing that people were, were always encouraging us to do. Now that we lived in Florida, we ought to go visit Disney World. But it wasn't so much that people were telling us that we should go. The key was when we should go. Because when it comes to Disney World, timing is, is everything. Because the last thing you want to do is go to Disney World and encounter the crowds. Right, it seems that's the case with, with every vacation spot. 
So I bet if I asked you when we should visit Yellowstone, you would tell us about when we might go to avoid the least number of people. Someone this morning at the Legacy site said midnight. So <laughs> we wrote that down. See, no one, even though we've all been part of one, no one really enjoys a crowd, right? The crowd complicates things. The crowd always makes life harder. And when you're surrounded by people, you never, you never feel like you can, you can rest. You never have a moment of, of peace. In the first three chapters of Mark's gospel, there are five references to the crowd. Right? Wherever Jesus went, the crowd followed. They were always there. And I think that meant that the disciples never really had a moment to catch their breath or just have enough or more time with Jesus. And so when Jesus told the disciples that they were going to hop in this boat and leave the crowd behind, I imagine that that was music to the disciples' ears. They're finally going to get a chance to breathe and not worry about the mass of people who are always trying to get to Jesus. And so they waved goodbye to this crowd only to say hello to this great windstorm. And the way Mark writes, it's as if this storm just sprung up on them immediately. Right? Just as they were parting with the crowd, this storm was upon them. And here's what I think must have really gotten under the disciples' skin. Remember, this was, this was Jesus's idea, right? He was the one who said, let us go across to the other side. Now, he was leading this whole operation. And they must have been thinking, you know, we've done everything that he's asked of us, right? We've, we've left our previous life behind to follow him. And here we are about to drown. And at that moment, when the disciples were, were soaking wet and they were, they were fearing for their lives, they looked around and who did they see in the stern of the boat? Jesus asleep on the cushion. And imagine what went through their heads in that moment. Right? They, had, they had seen Jesus heal a man who couldn't walk. Right? They were in the synagogue that day when Jesus restored a, a man's withered hand. They saw Jesus cleanse a leper, set another man free from an unclean spirit. Right? Clearly, his authority and power were, were unprecedented. Right? He hadn't encountered or met a situation that was, that was too much for him. That every problem brought to Jesus, he answered. And Jesus had done all of those things for people who, unlike the disciples, hadn't. They hadn't left everything to follow him. They hadn't made the same life-altering commitment as the disciples. And so how unfair it must have looked to them. You know, perhaps they thought, you know, he cared for all those people who didn't do a thing for him. And here we are 
actually needing his help, and he's asleep. You know, he's, he's letting us down. You know, all along, it turns out we are just his pawns. He was just using us to springboard his career. And what the text is telling us is that the disciples looked at Jesus sleeping and then made up their minds that he wasn't interested or concerned with their welfare. Right? In their opinion, that was the only way to make sense of what was going on. And that was the problem. You see, the disciples never considered an alternative way to interpret and understand Jesus' sleep. Right? It escaped them that Jesus sleeping is just another manifestation of his unique power and authority over all things. Instead, what happened is that they allowed one incident, this one stormy trial, to determine what they believed about Jesus. You see, they, they, they felt abandoned. And so what they felt became more real to them than what they had come to know about Jesus. And because they let those feelings have the dominant place in their hearts, all that they had come to know about Jesus was just immediately thrown overboard. And then they were left thinking the unthinkable, that Jesus doesn't care. And so the windstorm, it didn't prove, it didn't even suggest that Jesus didn't care about his disciples. But what we learned through this episode is that the disciples were immature. And here's why I say that. One thing that immaturity means is the inability to maintain the right perspective, to kind of keep the bigger picture in front of you. Right? When we're immature, we're always just captive to the moment. Right? Nothing else matters than what's right in front of us. And that leads immature people to panic and then draw all sorts of wrong-headed conclusions. And so I'll give you an example. When my brother, when I ever tell a story about my brother, you can assume that I did something similar, but because I get to stand here, I don't have to tell those stories. And so when my brother was in middle school, you know, being from Indiana, he was on the basketball team. And whenever they had an away game, the team was required to, to dress up. And so they had to wear a, a button-up shirt and a tie and, and khaki pants. And at this stage in our lives, our dad oversaw all the ironing. And one morning, the day of a game, my brother came downstairs wearing what he was supposed to wear. But things weren't right. Because my dad had ironed a sharp crease right down the middle of his pants. And of course, for a middle school boy, an iron crease wasn't exactly what you were looking for, right? We all know that middle school is this strange social dynamic and people's social reputations have been brought down for much lesser things than ironed khakis. 
But in my brother's eyes, wearing those ironed khakis with a crease to school, well, it was all over at that point. Everything that he had worked so hard to cultivate to that point was now gone. And deep down, he was thinking, Dad, don't you care? Right? Don't, you, don't you care about what happens to me at school? Right? Just like these disciples. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Right? And of course, my dad cared for my brother. The problem was that my brother, like we all do in our immaturity, he let this one incident come to define his whole reality. Right? It was like the only thing that he could, he could see. And then he was blind to all the other ways our dad provided for him and, and took care of his needs. And so for the disciples, yes, the, the storm was real. It appeared threatening. It looked like it was going to overtake them. But what was most important and what should have brought the disciples peace and confidence was that Jesus was never going to be threatened by this storm. And so we see that Jesus never panicked. Right? He, he never lost his control. And I think that's because he never doubted. He never lost sight of his father's sovereign and gracious control. That no storm, no trial ever kept Jesus from seeing and trusting his father's complete and perfect love for him. See, Jesus never lost sight of who his father was, his father's character. And that was the source of his peacefulness. Right? And ours too. Right? Momentary things shouldn't cloud our eyes to God's faithful and loving care. Right? That there's nothing that can derail God's purposes. Nothing that is ever going to threaten him or cause him to panic. Right, and you notice in the face of the disciples' panic and immaturity, what, what did Jesus do? He woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And he demonstrated once again his care for them. But it's, but it's also more than that. Right, he showed himself to be God. And once again, he proved that his authority and power is not limited. Right? When his disciples thought it was all over for them, Jesus once again revealed that there is nothing outside of his control. And then in the face of the disciples' immaturity, I think Jesus shows his perfect and complete maturity. Because what do mature people do when confronted with someone else's immaturity? Right? They don't throw it back in the person's face. I remember that morning, my dad did not get in a shouting match with my brother. Right? They don't say, well, 
You don't think I care about you? Well, I'll just show you how much I don't care. They always rise above that because they aren't captive to what's right in front of them. They're able to maintain the right perspective, always able to see the bigger picture. And what we know about ourselves is we've all acted immaturely before Jesus. You know, we've, we've been selfish and we've been extremely short-sighted. We've said all sorts of things that are wrong. We've thought all number of things that just aren't true. And like the disciples here, I bet we've probably made false accusations against Jesus. But the key here is that Jesus didn't get rid of the disciples. Right? He didn't throw them overboard because of their immaturity. Instead, after quieting the storm, he simply asked them to think, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Because Jesus knew that their accusation was, was unfounded. It had no merit. And Jesus knew that they had stopped thinking, that they had quit exercising their minds. They didn't pause and just consider all that Jesus had done, all that he had revealed about himself. And that's the way we end up overwhelmed, panicked, coming up with all sorts of wrong conclusions about God's concern and care for our lives. You see, by asking those two questions, Jesus was teaching the disciples what to do, what to do when, when trials inevitably come into your life. And what Jesus prescribes here is that we must put our faith into action by thinking through what we know about Christ. William Gurnall was an English Puritan, and he said this about faith. Faith tells the soul what Christ has done for it, and so comforts it. And that's what the disciples didn't do. They were telling their souls something completely different. They were telling themselves that Jesus had supposedly failed them in this moment. And so, of course, they had no peace or confidence or comfort when they weren't telling themselves the truth. And notice how our passage ends. Mark leaves us with this question to answer. Who then is this? Let even the wind and the sea obey him. Right? And all through Mark's gospel, that's the question that everyone's struggling with. That's the question that's at the heart of all the controversies surrounding Jesus. Can he really be who he claims to be? Does he really have the authority to forgive sins? Is he really the Messiah? Is he, is he truly the Son of God? And what we learn about the disciples is at the end of Jesus' life, they too hadn't yet figured it out. 
And so to the very end, they remained immature and incomplete disciples. And that's why they jumped ship at the end. When their loyalty and their trust in Jesus was really tested, they ended up abandoning him. But again, the key is, Jesus didn't throw it back in their faces. He didn't say, if you abandon me, now I'll abandon you. He remained true to his mission. And it was his mission to face the greatest storm all on his own. Because you see, on the cross, Jesus went through the fiercest, the most violent storm imaginable. Because the punishment of our sins came crashing down on him. Right? He took the full brunt of the storm in order to shield us. See, on the cross, Jesus, Jesus had to lose his peace with the Father. The one who calmed the sea and had all power and authority was then tossed into our chaos so we could have peace with the Father through him. And he did all that because it was the only way to keep us from perishing. It was the only way to spare us from the storm of God's wrath. And it was the only way that we'd ever grow up and leave our immature thinking behind. And so isn't it interesting that Peter, one of the disciples who led the panic, as we find him in the book of Acts, he was asleep in that prison cell, right? Bound with chains and surrounded by soldiers waiting his execution, we see that now Peter didn't lose his peace. So you see what happened? Peter grew up by becoming like Christ. And he grew up not all on his own, but seeing firsthand what Christ was willing to pay to secure his eternal peace. And because of that, he was no longer a disciple who lived in fear. He was no longer just imprisoned by the moment. He was able to see the whole story. He was able to see the big picture of God's grace. And what happened to Peter is what happens when your life is anchored in the gospel. And you realize when your life isn't anchored in the gospel of peace, you end up trying to root your confidence and peace in something that just won't ever hold. So do you remember what Julie Andrews sang about in The Sound of Music? She sang about having confidence and confidence alone and confidence in me. You see, outside of Christ, that's what we're left with. We're left searching for a confidence and peace that just won't ever make it. But what Peter knew the reason he could sleep in that prison cell 
is that he knew that there was nothing Herod or anyone else or anything in this world that was ever going to undo what his Savior had done for him. And I think about over the past year, so many people's confidence has been shaken. Right? Things that people once thought secure have been uprooted. And the whole idea of confidence in me has shown itself once again to be totally inept. And yet, so many people try to make it through this life with that strategy. And what that all reveals is that the gospel is still the most relevant news that people need. And so in that sense, when we talk about how much things have changed, in this sense, we realize nothing has changed because our mission remains the same. Right? To bring the good news of Christ to a world that needs to know how peace with God is possible. And not only do people need that word, but our neighbors need to see in us what it looks like to rest in Christ, to trust that he is our peace. And no matter what storm comes our way, we know that the one who commands the wind and the sea died and rose again to bring us safely into his kingdom. So what our communities, our, our neighbors need is not another strategy, not another way to manufacture their own peace. The world doesn't need another song about confidence in me. What's needed is Christ. To know that his blood was shed. That his blood was shed for us so that we could have a peace that would never end. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.